Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Luke 13. Here's what it says. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. So obviously these people were martyred. They were killed. And Jesus is trying to help people to understand that just because bad things happen to somebody, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were worse than other people. So listen, listen to him teach here. He said, I tell you, verse 3, no, they weren't worse, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So there's some warning going on here. But notice he's saying sometimes things happen. Well, you think about 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell and all the people, about 3,000 people, were killed. Boy, I thought about this passage numerous times back in that day and since. Do we think those 3,000 were worse sinners? Well, not all of them were sinners. Well, do we think they were worse than everybody else and God just decided, I just want those 3,000 to be dead? Well, according to Jesus, no. According to Jesus, no. I mean, that did happen to them, but that doesn't mean that they're worse. So what's his point? His point is twofold. Number one, we should say, he ends both of those little stories by saying, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. In other words, nobody's going to escape death. Nobody's going to escape everything. He said, uh, and especially if you don't repent, you are going to be judged and punished. There's no doubt about it. He said, unless you repent. He said, but don't take, the second part is, don't take circumstances where something happened to people and say, well, it's because they sinned. It's because they were worse than everybody else. No, he's saying that's not true. In fact, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so bad things happen to good people as well. Bad things happen to bad people, but bad things happen to good people. So you can't just take the scenario, the circumstance, and make some sweeping uh, assessment that those people are in a bad category versus other people. Are there some situations where God does judge a nation and such who has been in rebellion? Yes, there are those situations. But we have to be careful that we don't suppose that that principle and that assessment applies in every scenario. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now notice, there's a fig tree and it's planted in a vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone, let it alone this year also until I dig around it 
and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Well, of course, he's not really focusing on trees. He's just using this as a parable. But he's talking about people's lives. And there are people who are going year after year, and they're not bearing fruit in their lives. And there are people that should be bearing fruit. You're planted in God's vineyard. You're soaking up God's soil. And you're eating the word of God and such, and you're not producing fruit. And uh, that should not go on. And here, there's a principle that says, well, hold on, let me... Uh, give me a chance to fertilize. In other words, I'm going to give this person special attention. And this could apply, of course, beyond just people, could apply ministries and so on. But most importantly, people. And somebody might say, boy, this, this person who's been in church all this time and there's no fruit at all coming out of their lives, uh, their life, let me invest more into this person and see if we can't get some fruit coming. And uh, I think that's very clearly what Jesus is telling us. Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. So notice, there's a woman, it's in a synagogue, this is a Jewish woman, and she's bent over and she can't stand up straight anymore. She's got something going on with her back. And she can't stand up anymore. She's bent over. And this has been going on 18 years, it says. Verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Notice, he didn't wait for her to come to him for healing or help. When he saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He just declares this. You are loosed from your infirmity. Infirmity meaning weakness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So when he laid his hands on her, the power of God came into that lady's back, and she immediately was able to stand up straight. And notice this, verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He's angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Can you believe people are so petty like that, so legalistic like that? And, uh, and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. So here you're coming on church day. If we could say it like that, the synagogue was not a church. Of course, it's Jewish. Church is Christian and synagogue is Jewish. But he, but that would have been a Saturday. He's saying, don't come on Sabbath day. Don't come on God's day of rest. And when people are coming to synagogue and such, don't come to be healed. Then come on some other day. Well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No, God is in the healing business, the saving business every day of the week. And so he said, come on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. Watch this. Verse 15, the, the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? Your ox needs to drink, your donkey needs to drink water on the Sabbath day, and you'll loose, untie it from where it's tied and walk it over to the water trough and let it drink on the Sabbath. You do that? Of course, they have to do it every day. And then verse 16, so ought not this woman... Being a daughter of Abraham, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> She's in covenant with God. 
She's in covenant. All those Old Testament promises, which include healing, all of them. For example, Exodus 15, 26, you know, God made a covenant with Abraham that's described as far back as Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Well, now Exodus 15, God says, I am the Lord who heals you. See, there's a covenant of healing in the Old Testament. And this lady is a part of that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. And he said, look, you're, every one of you loose your ox or your donkey, your animal, and, and untie it and lead it to get some water every day. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, tied up to this infirmity? Think of it, 18 years be loosed from this bond? Shouldn't this lady, if you'll untie your animal and let it on the Sabbath and let it, let it drink some water, shouldn't this covenant child of God in covenant through Abraham be loosed on the Sabbath? Well, of course this person. See, here's, here again is people valuing animals even over human beings. This is like people who are pro abortion, pro-abortion, pro-choice, they call it, but it's pro-abortion, murdering children. And yet they're uh, pro-abortion, but they're standing for saving the whales. You know, it, it's a huge contradiction in reality and in God's heart and God's mind. So these people will take care of the animals, but they'll leave this woman bound. And Jesus is indicting this man, saying, you're a hypocrite because you really don't care so much about the Sabbath. It's not about that. It's just you don't have care for people like you ought to. Shouldn't this woman be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Well, of course she should. And, and by Jesus saying, think of it, she was bound 18 years. By saying that, Jesus is clearly saying she should have been loosed 18 years ago. She was in covenant with God through Abraham 18 years ago. This should not have been happening all these 18 years. No, we're not going to let this go. Jesus saw her that day for the first time, and he healed her that day. We're not waiting another day. She should have been healed 18 years ago, and she's going to be healed today. Don't you love Jesus? Verse 17, and when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leaven, talking about yeast, making the dough rise, and it, the whole dough becomes filled with uh, yeast. Verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, there are few who are saved, or excuse me, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. 
And he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Now, he's talking to Jewish people here. Of course, he's talking to us as well. But uh, first of all, he's talking to the Jewish people, and he's letting them know, look, there's a narrow gate and there is a difficult path. And he's saying, you need to be intentional. We're not just going to say a prayer and just show up in heaven. No, we need to be intentional to be obedient and to not be distracted by the world and by the devil and continue to serve God to go through the narrow gate. The enemy is on the loose and the enemy is looking to take people out. And many people get deceived thinking that they're automatically in. And nobody's automatically in. We must follow the Lord. Verse 31. On that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. So they're trying to warn him. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. So he knows he's going to die, but he knows he's got to get to Jerusalem because that's where he is going to be killed like the other prophets who were killed uh, so many of them, at least. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Of course, the temple's still standing. The temple would be standing for yet another 40 years or so. But he said, your house is left to you desolate. Desolate doesn't necessarily mean that it's all been destroyed, though it will be. And Jesus is very well aware of that. And he predicts that, that it's going to be torn down. But he said, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is what they'll say at the second coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, so the house desolate. It's spiritually, it was spiritually desolate then. And then within about four decades, it'd be torn down and burned. Okay, that's it for chapter 13. I look forward to tomorrow, chapter 14. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.